Welcome to Counter Apologetics. Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing heaven. shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. It's often claimed that there's no sorrow in heaven. Every tear will be dried, etc. But if this is true, it has at least one implication that starkly contradicts a belief that's a central pillar of the Christian narrative. When we talk about the existence of suffering in the context of the problem of evil, Christians love to argue that free will is a big reason that suffering tragically has to exist. You give people free will, and some of them choose to do evil. There is no way to simultaneously have free will and no suffering. However, most Christian conceptions of heaven do not entail suffering. And if it's possible to have free will and a much better existence, why wouldn't God make earth more like heaven? And if it's not possible to have free will and a much better existence, then is the better future we have in store for us in heaven maintained by gutting us of our free will after we enter? Isn't free will what we were trying to protect in the first place? On the one hand, Christians assert that one of the reasons suffering exists is that it's a side effect of having free will. It's unfortunate that people use their freedom to make others suffer, but it's very important that God gives us free will, even with the cost of evil. But by that reasoning, how can there be no suffering in heaven and free will? How is it possible to maintain an evil-free state with our free will intact? Either God is removing our free will after we die, or something else is going on, but either way, I have questions. We can come back to how God makes heaven so wonderful, either by gutting us of our free will or by altering something else. But the point is that, whatever the answer is, the question arises as to why God didn't just do that in the first place. I would assume that the paradise God created is a better existence than we have now. So why couldn't these conditions be the initial, default state of affairs? On the one hand, I learned from God's Not Dead that the problem of evil is solved by free will. God is willing and able to stop evil, but he doesn't because it's very important to grant us moral and causal freedom. And yet in heaven, we seem to have a very good, if not perfect, existence with no evil. If this is possible at all, why isn't this just reality? So let's take a step back for a moment. You can often hear apologists claiming that our world is the best of all possible worlds, all things considered. You remove free will, that's worse than the world we inhabit now, even if there would be less suffering, because free will is very important. They say that freedom might have its ugly side effects, but it's such a powerful good that it outweighs any alternative without it. There's also the reason that God wants to be in a relationship with us. We couldn't say we truly loved God or obeyed him if we didn't have the option to reject him. So that's why the tree had to be in the garden and one reason why we have free will. You know, because God is against coercion. Some apologists, as well as many non-believers, have noted that suffering isn't just an unfortunate side effect, it can have a purpose. Namely, it can help us grow and become better. It gives us opportunities for growth and overcoming. 
So these reasons and others taken together are supposed to show that it's still reasonable to believe that God is all-powerful and all-good, even in our universe. As hard as it is to believe, this must be the best of all possible worlds, all things considered. At least it seems to me that a believer in an omni-god would have to take a position like that. If God didn't create the best of all possible worlds, all things considered, in other words, he decided to make things worse than they had to be, for no reason, then he's certainly not all-good. But anyone who believes in heaven can't believe this is the best of all possible worlds. Heaven is better than life on earth, right? If heaven exists, meaning if it's possible to create a perfect existence, or at least a better existence than we have now, one worth living for an eternity, why didn't God just put us in a place like that to begin with? No tears in heaven fair. No tears, no tears up there. Sorrow and pain will all have flown. No tears in heaven fair. No tears, no tears up there. No tears in heaven will be known. So let's consider a couple some apologists have asserted that you do have free will in heaven, but that you wouldn't want to do anything evil. After all, God is right there. So there's no natural evil because God has taken care of the hurricanes and earthquakes and so on. I'm not sure why he couldn't just take care of natural evil here if he's willing to do it in heaven. But there's no natural evil and there's no evil caused by free will because even though everyone has it, no one would choose to sin in God's presence. But according to them, Satan and his followers rejected God while they were in heaven, so not everyone is intimidated into behaving by God's presence. If we could have the freedom to reject God in heaven, though, why wouldn't God just start everyone off in heaven and then allow them to reject him after that? Then we would know for sure that he was real, we would know exactly what he wants, in other words, which religion is true, and we would know exactly what we were rejecting. We would even have the example of Satan, so we would know exactly what would happen to us if we rejected God. How would that be worse than what we have now, when we don't even know if God is real, let alone who he is or what he wants from us, or the consequences of rejecting his will? But putting Satan aside, let's say that no human has ever committed sin in heaven. The idea that you would have the ability to do evil, but would simply never choose to do evil, amounts to God changing our natures in some way. With your nature as it exists, without God tweaking it, you want things and do things that God condemns. You also have thoughts that are sinful, and according to Jesus, having sinful thoughts is the same thing as actually carrying out the act. So, you would have to believe that for trillions of years, your nature, which is supposedly inherently evil, will never cause you to have a single thought that God wouldn't approve of. In order to prevent sinful thoughts from arising, God must be changing your nature to some degree. But if it's possible to shape our natures in such a way that's acceptable to God, and never causes us to have evil thoughts or desires in the first place, why couldn't this have been our nature to begin with? If we still have freedom in heaven, and never have any sinful desires like you have now, that must mean that you have been changed. But again, why wouldn't God have just made our nature that way to begin with? Admitting that it's possible to create our natures in such a way, is to admit that God intentionally brought unnecessary evil into the world, which makes him malevolent. If it's possible for our natures to be such that we don't even have evil thoughts, but still have free will, then a good God would have made this our nature to begin with. Of course, maybe we don't have free will in the afterlife, and that's how we get to a place with no sorrow. The other most popular answer from Christian apologists is that God actually does remove our free will in heaven, which kind of defeats the supposed reason for having it in the first place, namely that it's better than the alternatives. 
So if you think that the free will theodicy is powerful, and think that heaven is better than life on earth, then you need to explain how heaven manages to be so great. Either we get to keep our free will and never choose to commit evil, or we don't have free will and God ensures that there's no evil. So let's just bite the bullet and say, no, there is no free will in heaven, which some Christians actually do. It's interesting that Satan and other angels apparently had the freedom to reject God in heaven, which means that angels have free will in heaven while humans don't. But at any rate, now that we've given up free will in heaven, it's possible for there to be no sorrow since God has total control of everything and is running a planned economy in regards to morality and behavior. But this has another disturbing implication that further contributes to the image of everyone in heaven being a lobotomized, brainwashed version of themselves. If there really is no sorrow in heaven, that means something else is being taken away from you. Your love for other people. I've argued before, for example, my mother is a fundamentalist, committed Christian who loves me dearly and thinks I work for Satan and I'm leading people to hell. <laughs> and she also believes that she's going to go to heaven. And she's absolutely wrong. Even if she's right about there being a God in heaven, she's not going because she believes there's no sorrow in heaven and there's no way that my mother could be in heaven with me in hell and not be sorry, which means whatever ends up in heaven isn't my mother, it's some doppelganger of my mother that has been stripped of all the things that make her her. Without gutting us of our free will or otherwise drastically altering our natures, there would still be the suffering that would be visited upon those in heaven who would be missing their children or their parents or friends or partners. If knowing that your child is burning alive at that moment doesn't cause you to suffer, then you aren't you anymore. You're a robot programmed to worship God forever. If you have no free will and God is in control of everything, including your nature and your feelings about loved ones, you're essentially a doll that God is playing with in his insane, nightmarish dollhouse. You have no free will, you never commit an action or even have a thought that God doesn't approve of, you don't care that many of your family and friends are burning alive, and you're singing to the madman who did this to you for all of eternity. What kind of lunatic even wants to be worshipped, let alone for trillions of years? And if you do argue that God eliminates our free will in heaven, you can't also say that God put the tree in the garden or gave us free will because he wants a real relationship with us, and if we don't have the option to reject him, it's not real love. And that brings me to a crucial question. How good does heaven actually sound when it comes down to it? As fun as it would be to spend eternity with Ray Comfort and Betsy DeVos and Dinesh D'Souza, how much does ceaseless worship actually appeal to you? Even if you're a Christian, how much time do you spend doing it now? must be taken seriously. Now, you asked me, and it's a joke question, do I think I'm going to paradise? Of course not. I wouldn't go if I was asked. I don't want to live in some fucking celestial North Korea, for one thing, where all I get to do is praise the dear leader from dawn till dusk. I don't want this. It, wouldn't, it would be hell for me. So let's get that clear. But when so we've talked a little about why the possibility of heaven or the existence of heaven creates huge problems for theists who are trying to answer the problem of evil. But in that context, heaven is usually invoked to serve a different function. Some apologists have argued that God will correct all wrongs in the afterlife, which makes up for them, apparently. Every tear will be wiped away and every injustice will be rectified. But that can't be true. On Christianity, someone who has had every evil committed against them on earth could still end up in hell, and an absolute monster could end up in heaven. This is because the criteria for going to heaven, as I'm often told, entails accepting Jesus' free gift of salvation. I have to believe and accept God into my heart, and all my sins will be washed away. So you have to be a Christian, and the right kind of Christian. 
Catholics have the doctrine of extra ecclesium nulla salus, no salvation outside the church. And many Protestants don't consider Catholics to be true Christians. These are not small questions considering what's hanging in the balance. And it's completely ahistorical to say that these differences don't matter. There were centuries of violence in Europe over which Christian was the true Christian, and those who died thought it was a worthy cause to die for. Today, Christians just smile politely while they think to themselves that Unitarians are going to find out how wrong they really are when they wind up in hell, which I guess is an improvement, whatever it takes to get them to stop killing each other. I'm glad we created secularism and liberalism and hold religious toleration as a value, but it would be great if God could just take a break from whatever he's doing and clear this up for us. Confused, uh, you are dead, and this is hell. Hey, wait a minute, I shouldn't be here. I was a totally strict and devout Protestant. I thought we went to heaven. Yes, well, I'm afraid you were wrong. I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you, uh, you picked, picked the wrong, wrong religion, religion as well. Well, who was right? Who gets into heaven? I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. You're not sent to heaven or hell based on how much suffering you caused, or even how much sin you committed. It's decided by sincerely believing the right things. But how does believing one thing over another merit being burned alive versus not being burned alive? You can't claim that hell is about justice when all one has to do to get out of hell, no matter the evil they committed, is utter a magic set of words or believe the right doctrines. You also can't claim that hell is about justice when you can sin a lot less than others and still go there because you didn't say the magic words and believe them sincerely. And he looked at me during the Q&A and he said, Frank, my mother was a survivor of the Holocaust. She lived an awful life. Somebody presented her with the gospel and she rejected it. Is she in hell right now? Whoa. I said, Eddie, I don't know where your mother is. I don't know if she made a profession of faith in her last moments, but if she didn't, then God will not force her into his presence against her will. God is too loving for that. Right, God is too loving for that. Or as Frank likes to say, God is a gentleman. You can either accept his loving invitation to worship him for eternity, or you can go be in pain forever. It's totally up to you. It's not like God could have created more than two places to go in the afterlife, or allow annihilation to be an option, or not make the two places invisible so no one knows for sure if they're even real. And never mind that he made the rules for going there, and didn't make those rules clear to us. So, besides appealing to God's gentlemanly nature, believers love to excuse God's psychotic behavior here by appealing to his perfect justice. He's too committed to being a good judge to let abject criminals like ourselves off the hook for our sins, just like it would be unjust to let a mass murderer walk free. This is a form of justice where someone in Auschwitz goes to hell because God is such a gentleman, but any guard at Auschwitz goes to paradise because he believed the right set of propositions and was saved by grace. So, even on the terms of Christians, heaven is not a good answer to the problem of evil. Because, as I mentioned, you don't end up in heaven or hell based on the amount of sinning you did. You're saved by grace, not by works. So the criteria for going to heaven completely undermines the afterlife as an answer to the problem of evil. It was already a terrible answer to begin with, since no finite crime merits an infinite punishment. But if we're judged in the afterlife by our beliefs or whether we accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, the afterlife can't be invoked at all as a safety net that guarantees ultimate justice. And despite all this, Christians still have the nerve to ask, where's the ultimate justice in a godless universe? In a naturalistic universe, Hitler did kind of get away with it, and his victims are dead. But at least Nazis aren't being rewarded in heaven while their victims are being punished in hell. Because of the bizarre criteria for being sorted in the afterlife, there may actually be more justice in a godless universe than a Christian universe.
that's all I have for you today. I want to thank my patron Hall of Fame, Jesta, Phil Stillwell, and Richard Crossan. And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com counter, where you can earn early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but you still upload about as often as be reasonable, sorry about that, you can add me on Facebook, leave a five-star review, or tell your friends about the podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll see you next time.